Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler, The Gangster is suitable for ages 12 and up and contains graphic violence. The Gangster is also available as a signed, numbered, limited edition hardcover while supplies last. To order, go to scottsigler.com slash store. Hello, junkies. Here we are with episode number 22 of The Gangster. And in this one, our erstwhile star quarterback is in a place where he can't just scramble his way out of trouble. No dancing outside the tackle box and throwing the ball out of bounds. No, he is in a place where his feet can no longer help him. Hey, if you're not signed up for our newsletter and you've ordered the hardcover copy of The Gangster or plan on ordering it, please sign up for the newsletter over at scottsigler.com slash newsletter. We have important shipping and address info going out very soon. The newsletter is where we start that process, and we want to make sure you get your goodies. We've had some people order more than once. We've had some people move. We've had some people who changed jobs during the COVIDs and didn't realize that they had planned to have the book shipped to their old workplace, and so on and so on. So swing over to scottsigler.com slash newsletter and sign up. That is the place that we make sure we get you the info. Of course, we send everything to social media, etc. But the newsletter makes sure you're going to get that critical info that we send out. We also let people know about new podcasts. We let you know about new pre-orders when books come out in paperback, hardcover, in different formats, different ebook stores, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the best place to keep track of everything. Please sign up there. We would appreciate it. That helps us help you. customer. Go to scottsigler.com slash newsletter. Now, let me get you caught up on the story so far, and then we're going to break some rocks on the chain gang. Previously on The Gangster. Quentin is locked away in a place so secret it doesn't even have a name. Alone, with no friends, no allies, and no help, the torture begins. All alone, Quentin woke. Every muscle hurt. He opened his eyes, saw no light, none at all. He was on his side, lying on rough, cold, unforgiving stone floor. His body shook, half from the cold, half from the reverberations of pain still coursing through his memory. Restraints bound his hands, locked together at the wrist as if he was forever caught in an almost praying position. He didn't remember being brought here, wherever here was. He must have passed out. Quentin shivered, realized he was naked, nothing between his skin and the cold stone. The small cell on the ship Tiger Stripe and Angel Wings had flown here now seemed like an impossible luxury, the kind of place only the richest and most privileged would live. It hadn't been cold. He hadn't been naked. He'd had a blanket. 
His muscles ached from the repeated contractions, from the on-off blasts of voltage. They would put him on the X again. They kept coming here, dragging him out, putting him on that horrid machine, asking him questions. How much more could he take? Whatever answers his captors wanted, he simply didn't have them. He had to stay strong. He had to. He had to survive. He had to get back to Becca. A sound. A semi-rhythmic rattling. His teeth clacking in time with his incessant shivering. The constant cold consumed his body. He knew it was as much a part of their plan to break him down as the shocks were. He had to get himself under control. He was shackled, yes, imprisoned in the dark, but he was still the master of his discipline. Breathe first, slowly. Start with what you can control, then build toward what you can't. He closed his eyes, not that it made any difference in this pitch-black cell. In through the nose, out through the mouth. One breath, then two, then three. It was working. He felt his tension dial back a notch, and with it, some of the pain. Then four, then five, then an ear-splitting metallic screech. The cell door opened outward, flooding the room with blinding light. A shadow silhouetted in that light, a man moving toward him. Quentin kicked out with a foot, felt it glance against something hard. Body armor. He's a live one, a man said. Zap him! Quentin had an instant to fear that word, to start to say, please, no, don't, then shock prods jabbed into his ribs, his chest. His body twitched and jerked, his mouth filled with the taste of blood. Something slammed into his head, so hard even the darkness spun. That'll teach you, big boy, the man said. Help me with him. Big hands, cold with leather and armor, slid under Quentin's armpits. They dragged him out of the cell. A printed memo to the Imperial Council of the Kretorakian Empire, hand-carried by a representative of the Kretorakian Ministry of Religion, the CMR. The capture and isolation of Quentin Barnes has caused unforeseen negative effects. Mistakes were made in his initial apprehension. Witnesses were not detained and isolated. Those witnesses have contacted multiple media outlets with the information that Imperial forces arrested Barnes. The general public is now operating on the knowledge that Barnes is being held captive by the Empire in an unknown location or that he may already be dead. In particular, Rebecca Montaigne, Heavy G, spouse of Barnes, has repeatedly utilized the media to share her story of Barnes's arrest. An imperial edict has been issued that Montaigne is fomenting dissent and that media outlets should be aware that she is spreading false news. All imperial ships and garrisons have been notified that Montaigne is to be taken into custody on site, under the guise that the detainment will be for her personal safety. The standing order is to detain her as quietly as possible. At the time this memo was written, she is still at large. Montaigne is presumed to be aboard the Hypatia, the private starship of Quentin Barnes. The whereabouts of that ship are unknown. Montaigne is now number one on the Empire's most wanted list. While the CMR has isolated many threats in the past, 
it has never done so with a sentient as famous as Quentin Barnes. Based on an evaluation of media mentions, randomly sampled intergalactic communications to determine occurrences of Barnes's name, the number of followers he has in various churches dedicated to him, and the amount of merchandise sold that bears his name and or jersey number, Barnes is, quite possibly, the most well-known sentient that has ever existed. It is possible that the CMR did not properly account for his public prominence and the potential subsequent impacts removing him might incur. The reaction from the galactic populace has, thus far, resulted in the loss of over 500 sentient lives and caused over 20 million credits and damages to imperial facilities. In previous situations where isolation of a popular sentient generated protests and adverse public reaction, the property damage and loss of life was far lower. In those instances, we were able to either wait out the reactions, which tended to fade quickly, or completely eliminate the primary groups of protesters. With the situation of Quentin Barnes, neither of those options seem likely. In the 13 days, standard time, since isolating Barnes, galaxy-wide protests have increased from one or two a day to as many as ten per day. Protests are increasing in both frequency and in the average number of sentients involved in each event. Instead of fading away, the protests seem to be gaining momentum. As for detaining and or eliminating the protesters, at this point it would either overwhelm local holding facilities or result in a loss of life estimated in excess of 4 million sentients. The CMR feels that either of these options would generate an exponential increase in further demonstrations. There are also unforeseen political complications with the Quith Concordia. The Lord Governor of the Concordia is demanding information on Barnes, who is a Concordia citizen. The Lord Governor is likely using this situation to better align himself with Barnes due to Barnes's massive popularity in that system. The Imperial Council asked this ministry to estimate the short and long-term ramifications of eliminating Quentin Barnes. At this time, we feel any public execution would drastically increase the current levels of protest. We also believe that the protest movement is of such size that it will not go away if Barnes is quietly executed and never heard from again. Therefore, we do not recommend either option. As for further recommendations, we feel these are the only logical options currently available. 1. Fast-track a public trial for Barnes, with the predetermined result of execution for crimes against the Empire. 2. Execute Barnes and blame the death on an attempted escape. 3. Move Barnes to a public detention facility and make his good health publicly known until the Empire can determine how best to handle the situation. 4. Release Barnes immediately. 5. Continue to keep him isolated in the current facility until the Empire can determine how best to handle the situation. We feel that the first two choices have the potential to cause costly, long-term damage to the Empire. At this point, due to the growing intensity of galaxy-wide demonstrations, we cannot accurately estimate the public's reaction to Barnes dying in captivity. His death, by any means, is likely to immediately elevate him to martyr status. Moving him to a public facility may mitigate the current level of protest or it may increase said level. We have no precedent upon which to predict the outcome of this strategy. Releasing Barnes outright would assuredly end all protests. However, 
This would result in the likely perception that the empire has capitulated to public pressure, thereby creating a precedent that protests of sufficient size can effectively alter the empire's decisions. Therefore, at this time, we recommend maintaining the status quo. Keep Barnes isolated. Offer no response to public inquiries as to his status. In time, the level of protest may die down due to the naturally short attention spans of non-Kretorakian species. If the level of protest continues, or even increases, the Imperial Council may then implement one of the other choices. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Questions. He no longer feared the darkness. When it was dark, no one heard him. Quentin lay curled in a fetal position, body shivering uncontrollably. Just breathe. As if he could control things by breathing. How ridiculous. How stupid. How naive. How infantile. There was no controlling anything. They controlled everything. If he ate or went hungry. If he slept or was kept awake. They controlled food, they controlled light, they controlled pain. How long had he been here? A few days? A few months? No sunlight or stars or moon to track time. No clocks. Not even sleep. It seemed that every time he closed his eyes and pushed away the cold, the pain, and the fear long enough to actually fall asleep, he was woken immediately by pulsing lights and sirens screaming from hidden speaker film. But those jarring moments were still preferable to the thing that woke him up more often than not. The metal squeal of his cell door opening. How many times had he been hauled out of here, 
sometimes with a beating by shock prods, sometimes by billy clubs, sometimes by simple fists, then dragged down the cold hallway and chained the metal X that sent agony through his body over and over and over again. He wanted the pain to stop. He'd begged for it to stop. They didn't listen. They kept hurting him. They kept asking questions he couldn't answer. They wanted to know about the church of Quentin Barnes. In the first few sessions, his body screaming at him to find a way to end the hurt, he'd finally confessed to the secret meeting on Ionath with Richfield, Who Love Q, and Hoyt Bogard. He'd confessed to the meeting on the touchback several weeks before that, when he'd first learned that his church had 215 million followers. And he'd confessed to knowing that number, to understanding that number made him a threat to the Empire, confessed that number was why he'd come up with a schism plan in the first place. He told them everything. The sessions continued. Maybe it was the fourth session, or the fifth, when he'd cracked. Constant waves of agony rippling through his body and right into his soul, he'd told them Frost had helped with the schism story. The bats asked a few simple questions about Frost, but overall they didn't seem to care about his minor involvement. Quentin told them that Massal had set up both meetings. The bats didn't ask a single follow-up question. As the torture continued, his sanity started to slip, and he began to wonder if everything before the X was a dream, wonder if pain was the only reality he'd ever known. Telling the truth didn't stop the torture, so he made things up. Was he the real leader of the church? Yes, it's me. I did it all. Was he not the real leader of the church? No, it's not me. You figured it out. I have nothing to do with it. Would he swear that Who Love Q had arranged everything? Yes, he's the one you want. Or had it been Bogard? Yes, he's the one you want. Or was Richfield the true leader? Yes, she's the one you want. A small part of him wondered if his words were a death sentence for the sect leaders, and for others. He didn't care. He was pain, and pain was him. He told them anything he thought they wanted to hear. Was Michael Kimberlin involved? Yes! Were the Tweedy brothers involved? Yes! Was Yitzhak Goldman involved? Yes! A thousand yeses, a thousand noes. Quentin said so many things, he no longer remembered what was actually true, because truth had ceased to be anything but a word. He sold out his friends. He sold out his family. He sold out his teammates. He knew it was wrong. He knew he was weak. But none of that mattered. There was only one person he would not implicate. Becca. Is Rebecca Montaigne involved? No, she doesn't know anything, you bastards. It was me, me, all me. I did it. I did everything. Just kill me now. They wanted to know where she was. He didn't know. They wanted to know how to find the Hypatia. He didn't know that either. And fortunately, that was the truth. The only silver lining to that line of questioning was that they didn't ask any questions about the yacht's tech or the upgrades the Portath had made. The bats still didn't know Quentin had visited the Portath Cloud, or that Fred and Janine had flown the Hypatia there. No matter how bad the pain became, no matter what lies or were they truths, he told, he did not implicate Becca in any way. When the agony was so intense and burned for so long that he vomited what little food he had in him, even then he would not say she was involved. Because he wasn't protecting just Becca. He was protecting Becca and the baby. 
His pregnant wife was the one thin thread that kept him tethered to reality. In a world of darkness and cold and noise, in a world of endless suffering, she was the only thing that kept him from smashing his own head against the stone floor until his skull caved in. But how much longer until he reached his absolute limit? And when he reached it, what then? He would go mad, and madness would be a relief, a blessing. Maybe the pain wouldn't stop, but it wouldn't be happening to him anymore. The suffering would belong to someone else, someone new. That was how he would beat them. Simply go insane. They wouldn't know. How could they? He'd hide inside his own head, and then when it was all over and the pain stopped and the light returned and he could sleep without shivering like a frightened insect, then he could come back and be himself again and see Becca and the baby and his friends and sleep in a bed, a warm bed, and that would be... Quentin heard someone laughing. It took him a moment to realize the laughter was his own. That frightened him even worse than being chained to the metal X. Please, high one, please deliver me. Then he heard the noise that always brought anxious terror, the sound that was a harbinger of pain, the heavy bolts in his cell door sliding open, the screech of metal hinges. Quentin shut his eyes against the light. He waited for hell to begin. Get me a blanket, a woman said. Now. Her voice sounded crackly achy, as if she knew maybe a hundredth of the pain that Quentin knew. He doesn't need a shucking blanket, a man said. The same man Quentin had heard so many times after the door opened, the one who taught Quentin to not fight back, to not ever fight back. I'm the doctor here, the woman said, and I'm in charge of this wing, the man said. That son of a bitch cost me a fortune when I bet on the Jacks in the Galaxy Bowl. He can freeze his ass off for all I care. Quentin tried to open his eyes, tried to see through the light that sliced into his brain. Two moving shapes, maybe more. Something touched his shoulder. He jerked away, cried out, scooted across the rough floor until his back was against the stone wall. Get him a blanket, the woman said again. The man laughed. Lady, I already told you no. You get on my nerves, you know that? He's gonna rot in here, so why bother comforting him? His fingers and nose are blue, the woman said. That's hypothermia, mild but prolonged, enough to cause permanent damage. Maybe the Kretorakians will let him go. He's famous, remember? Physical damage could lead to a prolonged investigation, which could mean people asking questions about this facility, and if that happens, it all comes back to you. Me, the man said. How can it come back to me? Because I will list on today's report that you refuse to help a guest receive basic treatment. Trust me, if this comes out, it will fall on you. Quentin's eyes were adjusting to the light, just enough to make out a woman on one knee. Had it been her that touched him? Behind her, a man in gray armor, standing in the doorway. I'll go get a blanket, the man said. The woman nodded. Make it fast. The man shape left. I'm going to touch your hand now, the woman said. All right? It had to be a trick. She was going to hurt him, just like the others had. All right, Mr. Barnes. He shook his head, but she gently took his hand anyway. Her skin felt hot on his. He felt her fingers press into his wrist just below his thumb, just above the restraints. 
white skin. She was of tower descent. Short gray hair. Wrinkled eyes. Gray uniform, same as the human text he'd glimpsed when he was dragged into the torture room. Listen to me carefully, she said in a whisper. You are in bad shape. I'm going to examine you, but you need to listen. You have to hold on. Stay alive. Help is coming. Help? No one could help him. He was going to die here, alone and cold and insane. You won't see me again, the woman said. Say nothing about what I'm telling you. Help is coming. If you understand me, nod. Quentin nodded, then flinched as the armored guard strolled into the room. Is your damn blanket, he said, and threw it on Quentin. The woman wrapped the blanket around Quentin's shoulders. Now get going with your exam, the guard said. I don't know why you're even bothering. The bats aren't going to release him. He's going to die here, and we all know it. You're a real ass, the woman said, her cracking voice again loud and full of bite. Now, Mr. Barnes, it's important you cooperate with my exam and do exactly what I ask you to do. If you don't, I'm afraid Carmargo will use his shock prod. Nod if you understand. Quentin couldn't see the guard's face as it was hidden behind the gray helmet's black visor, but he could see the guard's hand. The hand reached for a holster on the guard's right thigh, pulled out a shock prod. The hand gripped the handle. The thumb pressed the activation button. The shock prod hummed. Quentin nodded violently. He understood, and he wanted them to know he understood. He would do whatever they wanted if it meant avoiding the pain. You have been listening to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and narrated by Scott Ziegler. Follow Scott on Instagram and Twitter, where he is at Scott Ziegler, one word, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Ziegler. For more information on the Galactic Football League series and for more free audiobook podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. The Gangster was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2020, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Super Weapon. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.